1: Today on the Zabecast, what on earth would provoke an 81-year-old sports casting legend to go full-on crazy and to face his neighborhood sign? We report you decide. There's a home for sale called Fifty Shades of Maple Green. Andy Poland joins me. He has some thoughts on the new football league and how the pecking order used to be in sports media 30 years ago. All that plus it all comes down to grip strength. Bonus Abe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Tuesday,
0: February 12,
1: 2019. Thank you for downloading. Let's start with an email feedback from a topic from last week regarding the Super Bowl And the commercial with the young girl who had accepted a junior college scholarship and said, one day, I want to play in the NFL. I laughed at the notion and said, this is nonsense because this will never happen in my lifetime. And for the NFL to be pushing these fantasies and and insane dreams is counterproductive. Better to say, you know, I'm pushing for one day creating a, a women's NFL so we can compete in a parallel universe in which our size and strength is appropriate for each other, and not pretend like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to learn how to run real fast and do a lot of sit ups and push ups, and someday I'll be competing against the men. Very politically incorrect these days. Uh, John Gallagher emailed me the following Last week, I heard you talking about the NFL Super Bowl commercial, and I agree and respect that you actually said so on the air that this was pure fantasy and would never, ever happen. I also appreciate that you didn't tweet it because, heck, you don't need that kind of hassle. Oh, yeah, I've, I think I've learned my lesson on Twitter. It's like, it's like trying to tw- – so I think someone once said Twitter is fighting the entire internet all at once. <laughs> Picking a fight with the whole internet. I'm going to take all of you on with my 240-character opinion. Ah! But I'll say what I want to say here on the Cast, and I'll back it up. That's the thing. I'll back it up. Back it up, bitch. I'll back it up. Here's more backing up on this. So John Gallagher writes, This is also relevant for the people that want biological men to compete with biological women. It's a bad idea. I found a very interesting study a few years back. The full text seems to have disappeared from Google searches, or has moved behind paywalls. Don't think that's by accident either. Here's the net-net, Zabe. It showed that in upper body strength, 90% of women were weaker than 95% of males. In other words, a woman who is stronger than 90% of other women in upper body strength is only stronger than 5% percent of the males it showed that a 90th percentile world class female athlete is only stronger than 25% of all men behold your stat of the day i attached the study probably a tldr for you by the way that means too long didn't read we live in such a day and age in the internet where it's like just Give me more stuff, feed me more, scroll, 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 swipe, 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 scroll, scroll, scroll. Not fast enough. I need something to scroll faster. But you're not even seeing anything. I don't care. Just feed me internet content. Anyway, the key points, and you can see with a quick glance that this was a serious study and they controlled for things like hand size, lean body mass, The key chart is at the end of the message, blah, blah, blah. Exercise physiologists, writes John Gallagher, often use grip strength as a proxy for upper body strength because it is a reasonably accurate predictor of upper body strength. And it's much easier and safer to obtain than doing one rep max for bench press, especially for non-athletes and untrained people. So in other words, you want to measure the upper body strength of 2,000 randomized men and women. Do you want them doing one rep bench press when they might be some squidnik who's never actually bench pressed anything? Dude, do you even lift, bro? No, so they test grip strength. Sidebar on grip strength for a second. We have all met guys who have insane grip strength and want to show you that in a handshake they love to show their dominance in an overly firm handshake and this could be big dudes who are clearly weightlifters and whatever or sometimes it's small wiry dudes who work in trades with their hands pipe fitters or plumbers roofers and they give you that with the grip strength my grip strength sucks. I've got short, I got big palms, short fingers and rheumatoid arthritis and or Lyme disease, so my grip strength is not great. But grip strength is a big deal. I remember once George Allen, coach of the Redskins, wanted Dave Butts to take a grip strength test because that's how George Allen was going to sort of determine whether guys made the team or not. Not the only reason, but it was part of the suite of of tests he wanted guys to take i think dave butch is like i'm not taking a grip strength test and then grabbed george allen by the shirt and lifted him up and now it's like okay that's fine never mind anyhow back to this point so the study was done in germany and they got over 1600 men 500 women all in their early 20s to participate Then they got 60 world-class female athletes who were on the German National Olympic teams, and they got these athletes specifically in sports that require a very strong grip, like judo, handball, and others, and they then measured them. The idea was to find out what the upper limits of strength were for women, and how much of the normal difference between men and women could be overcome by intense physical training of women. Spoiler alert, not much. So they're comparing world-class, currently competing female athletes in sports that require very high grip strength, who train all day, every day with exercises designed specifically to increase increase their grip strength, against regular dudes, most of whom are not on any kind of sports team. A 90th percentile world-class female athlete was only stronger than 25% of the regular men. That's unbelievable. The single very strongest freak of nature elite Olympic woman is still weaker than one third of the regular guys out there. These are the limits of biology for women. Oh, you are treading into dangerous waters here now, Johnny Gallagher. You know you can't say these things publicly without being thrown into the thought prison. He goes on to say these are the most genetically gifted, top 1% of the top 1% strongest women training as hard as they could And that's as far as they can go. They can't even get to the strength of regular guys. And when it comes to professional sports, especially football, every player in the NFL is probably in the 95th percentile plus on strength for his size. The strongest women out there are simply nowhere close. A billion to one shot. Billion to one, million to one shot. Maybe there's a woman who's strong enough and is tough enough and plays youth sports at a level where she comes through the ranks and she's just got it. She's got the speed. We've seen, like at the All-Star Challenge, you know, the 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 what's her name? Kendall Coyne outskated a couple of men in the fastest skater competition. She's got jets, and that's great. There's no one suggesting she'll ever play in the NHL. No one. And and the more that you want to promote, and the more that not you but the more that anyone wants to promote a fantasy of oh someday they'll be they'll be playing in the same league it's nonsense it's counterproductive build good entertaining women's pro leagues that appeal to men then then my friends you've got yourself a viable business then the women can aspire to those pro leagues And they can make money playing the sports that they love. And us men can have something else to watch aside from all the men's sports. And there's nothing evil about it. There's nothing wrong with it. Unless you believe, like some people today, that we must erase all gender and lump everybody into one pile. Selling real estate can be a tricky thing. You want to put out for your property the best look and the most features you can. But not everybody's dream house is the same as everybody else's. For example, you may have heard of this story by now. You certainly will, I think, in the days to come. Fifty Shades of Maple Glen. Wait, what? There's a house in Maple Glen, Pennsylvania for sale in which it looks like just a beautiful brick colonial. And the owner listed it with... Of course, photos inside of the kitchen, gorgeous, center island, wine fridge, high-end appliances. Uh, The main living room is gorgeous, big brick wall fireplace, some leather couches, some fake animal skin rugs, Uh, a pool table in the upper level next to the formal dining hall. I guess that's where if you ever invite Matthew McConaughey over, for a dinner party he can impress you with trick shots can we just take a second to ask the question what the fuck on that commercial Matthew McConaughey and his trick shots people buzzing oh oh I've never seen that before look at the masse. say McConaughey hit some crazy trick shot and pull and then just boom I'm out not mic drop cue drop cue stick drop I'm out did you see that yeah i'm the man yeah let me let me let me go drive off in my let me go drive off in my new uh buick is it a buick that he's pimping i kind of should kind of bad advertising if i can't remember the damn car he's promoting god those commercials are great aren't they they got me talking about them right you You're one of the worst, and I think that you need to go away. Yeah, yeah, you know, they just like my movies, yeah. You are just awful. You're one of the worst, and I think that you need to go away. All right, back to Fifty Shades of Maple Glen. So there's a photograph of the pool table, upper level. Master bedroom, I mean, the size bed, it looks like two queen size beds mashed together. Maybe it's the angle of the picture, but it looks like the widest bed I've ever seen in my life. And then there's an exercise room in the basement. Okay, that's great. And then other side of the basement is, whoa, wait, what? There's a sex swing with leather harnesses and chains and a fur rug underneath it. And then what's this over here? Oh my God, it's a bed that is uh, encased in sort of like a four-post cage with chains strung from the top of the overhead canopy. Uh, there looks like there is a stocks at the foot of the bed, and <laughs> underneath the bed, it looks like a little doggy cage. Oh, my God, this isn't... An- and then, of course, if there is any doubt, there's a a rack on the wall with whips and paddles and floggers hanging from the wall as if there was any doubt. These devices, these pieces of uh, bondage and sex furniture are just out in the open in this otherwise beautiful, almost all-white, airy basement area. Like, they must never, ever have kids come in this house. Ever. Because the kids would be like, I want to go to the basement, let me go to the basement. Daddy... What's this? I got to imagine kids tying up their sister just to annoy them on these devices. Five-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath home. Just went on the market. $750,000. And, yes, the photos have already caused a stir. They have already been taken down. But thank you, the Internet never forgets. And somebody always screen grabs them and then reposts them. I'm looking at them on BuzzFeed News. And... uh, (laughs) There was this exchange. In an interview with Slate Magazine, realtor Melissa Leonard was interrupted by an angry neighbor. Uh, Slate's reporter, Dan Coice, on the other end of the phone, overheard this conversation. Male voice, we're very upset about this whole thing. We do not want something like this in our neighborhood. Take that off the internet. That's disgusting. We don't want that. The realtor, sir, if the owner wants those photos on the listing, that's their choice. Mail voice, you got to take them down. We live next door. We don't want this. Realtor, you're angry at me, but you're really angry at the owner. I'm trying to sell the house as fast as possible. Mail voice, people are all over the neighborhood and they're all saying they're here to see the sex house. <laughs> Man. Man, oh man, oh man. I'd say as far as uh, basement dungeons go, it's very classy. Not that I've seen a lot of them. I would think if you're going to have a little naughty room, uh, you should probably have that in a storage area that you have cleaned out and retrofitted and then have multiple locks on it with a key that is hidden somewhere in daddy's sock drawer so that little kids, when they're in the basement romping around, can't just wander into the sex dungeon. God, that's hilarious. I can't wait, though, to show this story to my colleague, Richard Doc Walker, because for years, Doc has had a running joke with our other host, Al Galdi, in which he joked about Galdi having all this stuff in his basement. And Galdi took it in stride and kind of played along with it and laughed along with it. But as a running joke, it this is perfect, this story. I wonder if it adds value or not. Like, I wonder if somebody saw this and said, "Oh, wow, this is our dream house, honey. We can get freaky in the basement." Or if it's decreased value because of the attention now. I mean, the value of the actual pieces of furniture is not significant for a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars house. Uh, you could easily dismantle them and pack them up. I I would imagine. Nothing totally fixed. It's not like they've got uh, stone floors in the basement and torch holders. But still, interesting. Fifty Shades of Maple Glen. Hello? Oh, there he is. Andrew. How are you? Good. How are you, brother? Good. I'm going to get in my
0: car so will have a nice sound here.
1: All right. Very good.
0: Very uh, good. How's your weekend?
1: Uh, you know what? It was fine. You know, yeah. these winter weekends. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> what, do, what do we do in the winter? See, I'm not going to complain because I've already complained enough about the weather for 10 lifetimes. Yeah. So I'm not going to complain, but yeah, you know, these weekends just are
0: whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wound up watching a Teddy Pendergrass documentary on Showtime because there really wasn't anything I was interested in yesterday afternoon. Long time. So. And And <laughs> but, how was it? It was pretty good. I mean, I'm familiar with him, so um, I'm in my car now. So it was uh, it was pretty good.
1: Did you watch the Grammys?
0: A little bit. I mean, the music. It's hard for me to relate to it. I, you know, I haven't listened to current music in years.
1: I know a lot of these acts. I'm like, wait, what? There's an artist <laughs> named Her H. Yeah. Period yeah. E. <laughs> period R.
0: What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Billy Joel. Uh, Paul McCartney, Springsteen, uh, Elton John. That's pretty much my wheelhouse there.
1: But they have tributes and throwbacks to the past greats.
0: Okay. Like
1: they had Smokey Robinson sing on stage last night at one point. I like Smokey, yeah. Motown, baby. (laughs) So, yeah. All right, so let's start with this. Mason L. Cashin Jr. has passed away. You may know him as Red Cashin, because everyone back in the day was nicknamed Red in sports. Red Cashin was the NFL referee known for the classic first down signal.
0: Remember that? Yeah, I I think that you and Scott Lynn are far more into the Zebras than I am. Don't you Um, remember first down Red Cashin? That's a yeah. first down. Who was the guy that said giving him the business? That
1: was Ben Dreith.
0: Okay, that yeah. that that was that was significant to me. Um, other than that, the referee crew that terribly blew the non-call in the, in the NFC Championship game—those guys are idiots.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, of course, but yeah. I'm—I just would like to get your thoughts on when will we return to the era of the colorful referee
0: um i don't know if we will because i think given the double checking that they can now do now cash in a lot of his career was spent where his final word was the final word and i don't know if you want to stand out because when you're wrong it's really doubly pointed out to you when they call his overturn so uh, i think these guys want to lay low and unless you get a big muscular guy like Hocule again who likes to show off his guns. I don't think we're really going to get anybody like that.
1: Do you remember Jess Kersey in the NBA? Yeah, Yeah. Redhead. He was a flamboyant NBA referee. Yeah.
0: I remember Mindy Rudolph. And I think Mindy was one of the first to make the transition to television. And so that's where he became really the first well-known. Joey Crawford, of course, and his right. brother Shag, who's a baseball umpire. A lot of these are families, you know. Sure. Uh, Gene you
1: know, Sterator has a brother that is still but, in the NFL, and Sterator is now doing college games only and CBS. He's still refereeing college basketball, but yeah. he's not doing the NFL. What about, so you said Mendy Rudolph? M-E-N-D-Y, not Mindy, like a girl's uh,
0: name? No, it was Mendy. And I don't know if that was his actual first name or a derivation of it, but um, he, was, he was the referee when the Bullets played the Golden State Warriors in the 75 finals. And Casey Jones was the Bullets coach, and Casey was a low-key guy. And he wasn't the kind of guy who would scream at the referee, but they picked him up on the bench saying, Go ahead. Give it to him, Mendy. All right. Just, just turn it over to
1: him. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Marvin Mendy Rudolph. So okay, Marvin, Marvin yeah. was his real proper name. Mendy was his nickname. Yeah. Well, rest in peace, Red
0: Cashin. First down. Yeah. You I don't love- hear of a guy named Whitey anymore either. Red, <laughs> Whitey. Um, what are the other names that you could Those are add? good.
1: Those are good. Really? Red and Whitey are good old school sports names. Uh, there was a sports writer, Red, um, Red Smith. Okay. And there was a broadcaster by the name of Red, Red, red Barber, <laughs> Red Barber, Red Smith, Yeah. Red Cashin, mm-hmm. Whitey, Whitey Herzog, Whitey Ford.
0: Right. Yeah. If you had red hair, you were known as red. If you had blonde hair, you were known as Whitey. But I guess in the politically correct era, that doesn't work anymore. Uh,
1: I'm not even so sure it's that. I just think we need to bring back colorful nicknames for guys. Speaking of colorful, this story leapt off the internet page at me and screamed Andy Poland. Former Washington, D.C. and former New York City legendary (laughs) sportscaster Warner Wolf was arrested in Florida last week at the age of 81 for vandalizing his own neighborhood sign because the neighborhood he lives in is called Plantation Estates, and he has argued with the HOA saying, I don't like the word plantation. It's too reminiscent of slave plantations. The HOA apparently didn't take him seriously, and so one day he took matters into his own hand, which they said on the people's court, never do that, And he got arrested for defacing the sign.
0: Not only that, a man who made his career saying, let's go to the videotape, was caught on videotape defacing such sign.
1: the irony. Also (laughs) a guy that would say, one of his other catchphrases was, come on.
0: Yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I like Warner, and I had the opportunity to work with him. I have not talked to him in about a year or so. When
1: did you work with
0: Warner? Well, remember when Tony Kornheiser was working for the Post? He used to write a style what column. What year is this? This would have been 1996, right. I believe, 96 or 97. I think 96. And so WTEM
1: uh, t- had just launched two years earlier, 94, it,
0: right? 92, 92. Oh, 92, excuse me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Tony would take off every Thursday because he said, I need to get a jump on the style column, which wasn't due until Friday evening but he felt he needed two days to do it. So he said, I need to take off every Thursday. So we'd have a variety of hosts. And about that time, 96 Warner was fired by channel nine because they said, Warner, if you read the horse racing results one more time, we're going to fire you. He read the horse racing results. They fired him. No way.
1: That's how he got fired from
0: nine. Yeah. Well, it was building, but that was the final straw. Hold on. uh, Hold
1: on. Why was he reading horse racing results? Because he'd
0: always read horse racing results. at the 11 o'clock news? Sometimes the 6. You know, let's go to the 5th at Pimlico. Hey, come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was he big into the ponies?
0: I don't know if he played them, but you know, in the, in the days before there was a lot of videotape available, you could always get horse racing video so that was something he could put in and it made him famous and wealthy both in washington and new york so when he came back to dc to replace the late great glenn brenner uh he stayed with it do but his director
1: do you yeah. think that maybe he got in deep at a track and they said mm-hmm. look the way to pay us back is make sure you get horse racing clips on the news and that'll no, help our business.
0: No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I didn't see Warner as a big better. I don't think that was his style. Um, but it. But that was what got him out. So he had two years left, I believe, on his TV contract, which they were paying. And they said, you can't do any television, obviously, while you're still under contract, but you can do radio. So he began doing every Thursday in place of Tony. And the first show that he did, now Warner, Never read the teleprompter on TV. That's another thing they didn't like. And he would write out little notes about stories on envelopes. He liked envelopes. envelopes. yeah. And I guess they were easy to flip over. You know, once he got through with one story. So it's a, it's a three hour show. And the first show, we open the seg, we open the show, and he goes through about seven or eight things, and he says, and that's it. And I go, well, Warner, it's uh, ten after ten. And we have another two hours and fifty minutes. Oh so
1: perhaps, my God!
0: <laughs> so perhaps we should we should expand some of those things that you've just talked about. <laughs> and and uh, eventually, you know, he got he got a lot better at it, and he had an incredible rolodex. He got Willie Mays on. Willie Mays never did anybody's show. Really. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. He had he had people that he knew. I, I think he did Steinbrenner. You have to ask Scott Lynn. He was actually the producer of that show. Right. But uh, he got he got quite a few well-known people on. And then he also had tapes that he'd saved, including an interview he'd done with Rocky Marciano while driving in a car. And Get out. <laughs> while he was, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, so he, handing he, them, uh,
1: he's sitting in the passenger seat and he's just passing the mic under Rocky Marciano's face as Rocky drove the car.
0: Or or they were being driven. Whoever it was, oh, okay. it, it, it was an interview, and uh, he had that. You know, Rocky Marciano died 68, 69 in a plane crash. So those kind of things, you know, he was able to bring. But when it got to the more modern stuff, he really wasn't into it that much.
1: All right, <laughs> what do you make of old guy syndrome, where you decide you're going, you're just going to go to the mat for something that is bothering you, like to do this is the sign of, I'm getting old, I don't give a fuck anymore, and I'm just going to do it, what's the worst that can happen? Because I'm staring at my own death not that far from right now. It
0: could be. I mean, my father just turned 90, and he has some of that, where he just say whatever you want, and there are really no consequences. I think
1: all the Polans have that syndrome, including Mrs. P as well.
0: Well, she's, she's married in, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, sure. The force is strong with that woman, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. And you, too, have oftentimes just shot straight with people where I'm like, okay, that was very honest. Might yeah. be a little bit hurtful, but Andy is not going to dance around it.
0: That's right. That's, that's what I believe in. So I, I, I think his heart was in the right place. His head obviously wasn't. And a picture of Warner in a jumpsuit at the age of 81, not very becoming.
1: <laughs> Although he's got street cred, though. Bad boy for life. Bad Fair boy enough. for life now on Warner Wolf. Why did he move into the neighborhood if he didn't like the name?
0: I don't know. The other thing about the name Plantation is there's an actual city in Florida oh. called Plantation. Florida.
1: Oh, I know. And we talked about this on my show in D.C. I said, you know, I understand plantation has a negative connotation because of slave, but there's a lot of other just agricultural plantations Mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with it. So we're not going to be able to go around, you know, changing every plantation name everywhere. That's going to be, no, that's impossible. Right, right. Yeah, I think he he
0: overstepped here. I think he was drunk. no, no, I, I don't I don't get the sense he's a drinker. But I, you don't get
1: the he sense is. he's a drinker or a gambler. What's wrong with you? I bet he well, was drunk and he gambles a lot. He lives in Florida for God's sakes. He's well, retired.
0: He, I, he told me he'd taken up golf. He was playing some golf. He liked that. It's, okay. Uh but I play you know, he liked to play cards, I guess. But I, I never sensed that he was a he was a gambler. I think he was just a guy who really liked sports. He liked it as a kid. And it's that passion always stayed with him. He liked to keep himself in shape. He used to work out at the same gym that I did. And, uh, I just, uh, that doesn't fit the profile to me. That's
1: a uh, hell of a story though. Come on.
0: Come You'll on. Live in
1: a neighborhood named plantation. Come on.
0: Boo, Boo of the week. The Boo. Wolf.
1: <laughs> Boo of the week. God, I wish, I wish we could bring back the days where the local TV sports anchors were larger than life, where they were significant, where they mattered on the landscape. Andy.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know what the circumstances are in Milwaukee. where I know you have a lot of people who listen to this podcast, but our good friend Ernie Bauer, who's a legendary television director yeah. uh, and, and did a lot of work for CBS as well. <laughs> one of his favorite trivia question is, name the local sports anchors. And th- there's a guy on the local CBS, Channel 9, who I've only seen when the Redskins have played games on Channel 9 that's the only exposure I have to him because well, you don't watch nine. Yeah.
1: I you're, watch you're cha- a four channel guy four. and you've, yeah, been a, four. you've been a channel four guy forever. Right.
0: Well, well, when, when Glenn Brenner was alive, I was a Glenn Brenner guy
1: and, and he was on Glenn channel on nine,
0: channel nine. He unfortunately passed away at the age of 44 in 1992, but, uh, he the was brain, actually brain on the tumor. air brain tumor. Yeah. He was on the air before George Michael, who was a real, you know, trailblazer in terms of what he did not just with local tv but the syndicated sunday night show he had right. the sports machine but uh glenn was on before uh before george was and i just became a glenn guy and i thought he was he's had that unique ability to just be funny yeah just stand up cuff. funny you, you yeah. stand
1: up and say something you, you're already like in a good mood watching him uh george michael died of a brain tumor
0: was it i thought it was cancer but yeah brain uh, cancer I don't know if it was related to the brain, but it may have been. I don't know. Okay. Um, but yes, he had, he also he was about seventy. But George Michael to-
1: George Michael invented Sports Center for network television. Yeah. Because that Sunday night uh, sports machine was a mini version of Sports Center when you couldn't get Sports Center unless you had cable TV,
0: and few people did for most of his run. Well, not most, but I say the first half of his run. Relatively few people had cable
1: TV. So the sports machine was 30 minutes after the local news at 1130, and it was on our local NBC affiliate and distributed to other NBC affiliates around the country, correct? Right, right, right. I'd, I I'd go back to those days tomorrow, Andy. Tomorrow. <laughs> Do you know that? I would. I'd hey. give up all of my worldly electronic possessions to go back to a simpler time like that. I'm not kidding.
0: Yeah, it was a simpler time, but you know, I mean, everything changes and, uh, you know, you, you, you ever talk to college classes or or high school classes? No, should I? Well, you don't have to, but I, I do it a fair amount, you know, six or seven times a year. And, and I, I just tell them, I say, look, I came in on a covered wagon. I don't know what's out there for you. I really don't. I mean, you're, you're going to have to adapt. um, and, and I don't know if you're old enough to have felt this, but when I got in, this was the lowest rung. Radio sports guys were the lowest form of humanity in the locker
1: room. Okay, pecking order was television, no, writers won? Columnists. Columnists, Columnists right. Yeah, Columnists, Columnists were at the top of the heap. Yeah, local TV local TV sports anchors, the number right. one sports guy at all three, and then four once Fox came in the mix. But mm-hmm. ABC, NBC, CBS, the local sports anchor in a major market, sort of the you know the 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 brick Tamlin of the day, right? Yeah, sports guy. Mm-hmm. Or no, brick was weather champ kind, champ kind, an anchorman <laughs> uh, lingo. He was number two. Number three was who a regular beat reporter beat for writers, the local yeah. news, newspaper, and then radio yep. guys were way down below,
0: way down, looked down upon, and really looked down upon by the newspaper people until they finally realized, wait a minute, I can get a show on his station, and I can make money. Maybe I should be nice to them. Um, they they didn't like the fact that we had the immediacy. They really didn't like the fact that after the game was over, we would collect our sound get our little interviews in the locker room, and then leave. They had to go write stories. They hated that. <laughs> and and they also didn't like, they thought, you know, their questions were Pulitzer Prize-worthy, and we were getting the benefit of that by sticking our microphone in the same little scrum oh where they were asking the questions. God. Yeah, yeah. and uh, do you know the name Dick Young? Dick Young, I've heard of it. Okay, Dick Young was a legendary sports writer in New York City and dick young was here's what trailblazer he was in in his day early on the sports writer would watch the game and write what he saw his opinion that was it dick young was the first guy to go into the clubhouse and ask you know leo DeRocher, what you know, why did you hit and run here yeah. yeah or or why did you make this pitching change in really the eighth inning? yeah yeah so and, dick uh, young
1: i remember by the way is dick whitey young uh, <laughs> but <ba-dum-ba. laughs> i don't
0: think he was whitey but he was anyway he uh he started that, and he also used to do a, a column called Clubhouse Confidential, where he would get actual quotes from players and, and managers, and that was, that was a new thing. And of course, everybody eventually went that way. I encountered him in the late stages of his career, and what he would do if he was standing in front of a player and somebody would stick a microphone over his shoulder he would yell obscenities in the microphone to destroy the possible sound bites that you were getting on your tape oh recorder. Oh my
1: god! <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I did not know that sports writers used to just sit, watch the game, observe, and then write about it. Yeah. Until one writer is like, "Yeah, maybe I should go ask Skip what happened in right. the seventh inning." Now, did you see there was a story about how many major metropolitan newspapers? are eliminating the traditional game story right did right. you see that yeah, i did i
0: did and and um, a number of them with the super bowl because yeah. you're know, like we're not gonna
1: do a game story everyone watched the game everyone knows what happened in the game we're gonna do key moments or sidebars like all yeah. side dishes no main course all side dishes
0: i think i think this is an accurate number When I covered, the first Super Bowl I covered was United Press International, was the Bears and the Patriots 1986, the great 85 Bears team. I believe the Chicago Tribune sent 22 writers to cover that Super Bowl. What? Yeah.
1: 22 writers
0: only? Right. Yeah. They were writers. It was a newspaper, they, and they had no internet. Yeah. Remember, there's there's no there's no why you know <laughs> stories to put out, no video to put out online. There was no online, and now some of them were you know like style columnists and uh, you know general news people, but they were there. I mean, it was it was remarkable how many people were there from just that one newspaper, and I imagine the Sun Times had a similar number of people there.
1: Yeah, I know one thing that's a lot different about what I do and what you do and have done, you know, the sports talk business and the sports talk game, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you and I are what I consider generalists. We are opinionists. We are, we are general opinionists where we're almost like a family doctor, a general (laughs) practitioner, a GP, right? We, We know a little bit about every little disease and every little thing so we can help get you on the right track but we're not specialists we can refer you to a specialist but that's what we are right
0: yeah okay. well and 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 i'm very careful about when i find an opinion that somebody has written that i like i will you give credit them him credit hard. right yes. exactly
1: yep. well so back in the day 25 years ago you made the you, know, you relayed the anecdote of warner wolf riffing through 10 things and going okay that's it and we're like we got 2 hours and 45 minutes left the thing that was more difficult back then 25 years ago is you had to be super passionate about sports and really follow it where it was harder to follow all the different sports. And you had to have ideas and opinions and theories oh. and rants and concepts. And I, you had to fill all that up on your own. Now, Andy, the takes, for lack of a better term, are mass delivered every day via the Internet in 1,800 different ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so it's not hard for somebody that wants to be a general sports talk host to just pick up a handful of takes here on the NBA, a handful of takes here on the NFL, and away you go. It's a lot easier now. And so it's kind of devalued what you and I do, I think.
0: Well, I would say this, though. The, The generation that grew up with all this, and I mentioned the name Grant Paulson, uh, for a thirty-year-old guy, now he can't—he can't relate it to anything that happened like prior to when he was born, thirty years ago. So it's all recent. But growing up and absorbing everything that he was able to do on the Internet, he knows a lot of stuff, a lot of current stuff, and can rip off names and rosters and and things like that that will blow your mind. I mean, I don't have that kind of recall. I just don't, especially for the modern era. Well, true,
1: And, and Grant Sharp in that regard, although I would say that because of the Internet and Google, that recall is also now devalued to the point where it's not very relevant.
0: Oh yeah. Well, it, it it ended the career of and Beatrice, who, right? Yes, who who made a career of making
1: it up. And now, it's it's going to end the career of Mike Francesa. I'm convinced.
0: It looks like it. Yeah.
1: He it Mike Francesa. Andy, are you watching?
0: Oh yeah. I, I did Funhouse. I I have Twitter, and I I see all the. Do you the do you not
1: see him going completely off the rails? Because I do. I think he's getting to the point where eventually it's going to be like, okay, dude, seriously. But maybe yeah. not. Maybe he's got how many more years does Francesa have have in it to do well, this? Well, I mean,
0: his his contract, I believe, when he came back after his four month retirement, I think it was a five year deal. Wow. And okay. and he might might stay with it. And look, I mean, it is reaching the point where people look at it and maybe they look at it to, to laugh at him, but. They're listening, and last I saw, he's still number one. I know. He's still beating, still I, beating the competition.
1: People still like to hear that authoritative New York voice, and they don't yeah. care how dead wrong he is on any number of things. They just don't care. No.
0: and they've been listening. You know, they've been since they were kids listening in their rooms, listening when their dad drove them home from school or practice or whatever it is. And there's a comfort in that same voice that that they've always had in yeah. their life. Yeah.
1: yeah. All right. Uh, did you watch any of the new AAF over the weekend? I
0: did. I did. Um, here's what I would say about it: the football's not bad. It's it's much better than it was in the XFL. Uh, I like the fact that they don't have the TV timeouts. They get the split screen when they go to commercial. Um, but the football itself, it's kind of like turning on a Toledo, uh, New Mexico game. Yeah. Like, it's its football. You don't know who any of these guys are. Maybe there's a recognizable name here or there, like Christian Hackenberg I saw played yesterday. And maybe there's a coach that you see, the Mike Martz, you know. But by and large, it's a bunch of nameless football players playing in mm. – uniforms that look like they just came off the shelf yesterday which they did and the initial curiosity i don't think is going to keep me sustained to watch it and what they're saying is the first weekend they drew i think close to three million people watching it and and the real test is because now everything's going to be on tnt nfl network uh cbs sports network not the big CBS, but when they play the championship game, if they draw 3 million people, it'll last. I also like the fact that Bill Polian was behind it, and seemingly everything that Bill Polian does works. He built all these Super Bowl teams, and he said, look, this is a developmental league, and we're hoping that teams will send their practice squad players to play on our team to develop their skills. So I think it can sustain as that. If they try to make it bigger, it's going to fail. But right now, it seems to be working out.
1: So in other words, it's like the 4th August game for an entire season.
0: Mm, Yeah, I guess. But, you know, people watch the 4th August game, and people watch the Pro Bowl. If it's football, they watch it.
1: They do. But part of the the big thing that is always going to prevent any secondary league from getting big is the care factor. The NFL is built on people caring about their teams. Even if their teams are awful, miserable, haven't been good in forever, Lions, Browns, our Redskins, Andy. Mm -hmm. And so so the caring is what sustains. You may be bad now, but I care about the team. And if you don't care about a particular team, you care about a player. You watch Dak Prescott because you're a Dak fan and you want him to do well. Nobody cares. Nobody knows who most of these players are, and they sure as – heck, don't care about the San Diego fleet.
0: Right. They, they don't. But here's another thing to throw into the stew here. Uh, the c- contract comes up in 2021, and it looks like the owners are going to want to play hardball this time. And we've, we have thought we've seen the last of the scabs in 87. That's
1: the big question. I don't think scabs would play in today's environment.
0: Probably not. But it would put enough pressure on the players who, you recall, in 2011, some of them were taking out loans yes. at 20% yes. interest because yes. they were – so it would only take about two weeks of that to get them to cave. And I think the owners are looking at that as, as a possibility. Yeah.
1: Uh, real quick, uh, any thoughts on the Jeff Bezos scandal?
0: Oh, boy. Oh,
1: boy. Oh, yeah.
0: The latest I read is, is what is it? The, the brother of the mistress leaked the photos or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A two Brute, you'd say to your brother, like what the fuck? Of course he got paid. I'm sure by somebody paid by the inquirer. I'm sure. sure what I was stunned at is I read a story, Andy, that said, yeah, it sure does look like blackmail, but from a legal perspective, it's such a high bar it's almost as high a bar as libel to Mm -hmm. prove and that basically a number of legal experts said that bezos would have a hard time prevailing in an actual blackmail suit against the inquirer even though they basically said hey kill this story or we're gonna publish your dick pic." (laughs)
0: like how is that not blackmail Well, also, the the name Pecker entering into the whole circumstance. Yeah, the owner of the
1: Inquirer is named David (laughs) Pecker.
0: Yeah, which, you know, just the New York Post, you know, it (laughs) might be the greatest headline since uh, Headless Man Found a Topless Bar.
1: What was the headline?
0: Uh, Something, uh, Bezos Exposes Pecker or something like that.
1: Pecker Picker on Amazon (laughs) penis or something like that something awful yeah, yeah. the headlines are potentially right all right andy good to talk to you as always this week and uh, we'll check in next week
0: very good Dave. thanks
1: let me end here with a few thoughts on the grammys last night i watched a good chunk of the show maybe more than i have in recent years i think i've come to appreciate the stagecraft and the sort of the mashups and the collaborations, the young and the old and the two different artists singing something together. And I just like to see how some of the artists are looking these days as well. And I paused it to go uh read a good night story to my daughter and then came back down. I'd kept it paused while I was working, and then I had a good buffer of time built up so I could just fast through fast forward through all the other rubbish. I think this fast forwarding through things could be a hell of an idea. Yeah, where you been on that, pal? Everyone's doing that. You're the only one that doesn't. Okay, sorry. So that said, I'm watching the show. Couple things that I noted: uh, one, Casey Musgraves is hot. Her music does nothing for me. Alicia Keys is just super duper talented and also very hot. Lady Gaga looks great. I think she's had some plastic surgery. To tone down her nose, maybe something else. She looks really good. So as I said that, my my youngest daughter, Megan, was watching at the time, taking a break from her homework, much to the consternation of her mama. And I go, yeah, I think she's had some plastic surgery. She's like, What's wrong with that? I go, whoa, easy chief. I'm not judging, I'm just saying. She's like, that's nothing wrong with it. I go, no, there there is nothing wrong with it. Just don't go overboard. Careful. Some people go overboard, and you're like, what the hell? Uh, Dolly Parton might be one of those people, but she's, God, she's old. There she was last night, good old Dolly, singing duets and triets. Uh, tri- what, what If a duet, what is a three-person sing-along? She did a three-person sing-along, Katy Perry. Katy Perry, I think, her new look. Alpha, love it. Love the blonde, short hair on her. That's a good good alternate look like the alternate jersey look for hot chicks i'm not saying it's the only look i like but as an alternate as like a color rush you get a, a woman who had long dark hair and they change it up to short blonde hair platinum. Oh, i'm in love it so i'm watching the show and you know i know half of the acts loosely i've got a few of them on my spotify song lists which ones not saying not telling you, very personal, and then there's some uh perform there's some artists I'm like what her her is one best r and b performer her h period e R. that's the name of the female artist hawa who ha yeah so as I'm watching all these different acts I've never heard of. The thought dawned on me and all of that, dualipo, Dua dualipo, dualipo? Yeah, dualipo. I'm watching the acts and I'm thinking, what's it like when you've reached the mountaintop in music? You're on the Grammys, you've won a Grammy, and maybe you're talented. Maybe you're very talented. And you're like, this is the best red carpet, fame, celebrity, money. How do I stay here? That's the hardest thing, the staying power, especially for musical acts. How do they stay at the top? And I started to rewind in my mind to other musical acts that have been on the Grammys over the years and just other musical acts in general. And I just think that if you write one hit song, a true hit song, a top 10 hit in your life, you've done really, really well because that's one of the hardest things to do. And then after you write that one hit, you're thinking, okay, I need to have another one and another one. How do I do it? Where do I – I need a hook here. Help me out. How do I stay relevant? Where are all the musical acts that were once on the Grammys and what are they doing now and how do they feel about their life? Are they okay? Have they moved on? Have they said, yeah, I always knew it was going to be – A short time thing. It was not going to last forever. I'm I'm okay with it. We got up there. We got a Grammy. It was great. We played some music. Now we're no longer together, and I'm giving guitar lessons out of a garage somewhere. Don't know. Don't know how they deal with that, because the highs are so high, and that mountaintop is so spectacular that once you fall off it, man, it must be a son of a bitch of a fall to deal with. That will do it for today. If you like today's Cast, please subscribe to the premium version. It comes every Friday. It's not necessarily any better than Monday through Thursday, but at $4.99 a month, 4 4 At $5 a month, you help support the entire operation here and encourage me to keep running on this little podcast hamster wheel. I'll keep running, I'll keep running, I'll keep running. It's sort of like Patreon without the Patreon infrastructure. Also, there might be some stuff that's better than the other days that I load into Friday. Go to Zabe.com slash premium. I appreciate everyone who subscribes. Email me with topics and suggestions and feedback. Zabe at Yahoo.com. Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. Now, just remember, if you've got a problem with your HOA, don't take matters into your own hands. Like Warner Wolf did, get a petition, go to meetings, build a consensus, and just play nice. Play nice, okay, people? Thanks for listening and we will see you next time. dot com.